I wonder if you're familiar with uh, the Botham Jean trial uh, that was happening. If you're not familiar with the story, Botham Jean was an African American who was in his apartment uh, minding his own business, and a white off duty police officer named Amber Geiger broke into his apartment thinking it was her apartment and then shot him dead. That happened in 2018. Uh, the trial just concluded. Uh, sentencing, I believe, was just a couple of weeks ago on October 2nd. And during the sentencing, um, Botham's brother, Brant, asked for something very unusual. He asked if he could hug uh, the woman who killed his brother. And so he got down off the witness stand and gave her a hug and said that he wanted her to know Jesus. Uh, like he wanted her to come to faith. He wanted her to become a Christian. And then at the end of the trial, uh, Judge Tammy Kemp, uh, who also happens to be black, also gave uh, her a hug and gave her a Bible. Uh, she was sentenced, though, uh, to 10 years in prison with the possibility of parole after only five years. Now, there were a number of people talking about this trial. Uh, it's a very complex situation. But one of the editorial pieces that I saw was written by a woman named Yolanda Wilson, and it was posted on USA Today. The title of the op-ed piece was, For Black Shooting Victims, Sometimes Anger, Not Forgiveness, is the Best Response. And in that article, or in that op-ed piece, uh, she had these two sentences. The greatest sense of moral failure is reserved for those who are explicitly angry in response to wrongdoing. But anger can also be the morally correct response, praiseworthy in its own right. Now, if you happen to read the rest of the article, I think you'll come away maybe with the same impression I did, but that number one, I'm not sure that Yolanda really understands the theology of Christian forgiveness and how that works, but also that she does raise some important and interesting questions about the role of anger, and that if you look at this Botham Jean situation, there's lots that people are angry about or could be angry about. There are racial issues involved. Uh, that can be a source of anger. There are gun violence issues involved. That can be a source of anger. Uh, there is what looks like it potentially is a pretty short sentence for a murder conviction. Uh, that is a possibility Some people, for people to be angry about that. Uh, there also seems to be some people who were angry that the brother and the judge treated this woman so kindly and then there were people who were angry about the people who were angry about the forgiveness that was offered. <laughs> and the point is, there's lots of things that people are or could be angry about in this situation. And to be honest, it's actually pretty confusing. What are the things that are right to be angry about and what are the things that are not right to be angry about? And if we're honest, it's not just that situation which is confusing. If you read the Bible, the subject of anger itself is confusing. On one hand, the person that we know the most about their anger, who is said most often to be angry, is who? God. 
it's not even close. God is by far and away the person in the Bible who is most angry. Even Jesus, who comes as a manifestation and an incarnation not of God's anger but of God's love in his first coming, he shows us that in God's love there is room for righteous anger. We hear in Ephesians 4, God says to us, in your anger... Do not sin, which clearly says there are times when it is right to be angry, and the admonition is not against anger, but against sinning in that anger. On the other hand, when you read through the scriptures, you find that anger shows up relatively frequently in the vice lists, meaning in the things that Christians are supposed to avoid. And in that same passage in Ephesians 4 that says, in your anger, do not sin, it goes on to say, in your anger, don't give the devil a foothold. And we come to recognize throughout the scriptures that anger is connected to Satan or can be connected to Satan. And so on one hand, we have what seems to be some positive affirmations about anger. And on the other hand, we have what appears to be some warnings and some prohibitions about anger. And if we're honest, if you read through all of this, it's a bit confusing. Are you supposed to be angry? Are you not supposed to be angry? When should you be angry? What should you be angry about? How ought anger to look? Are there things that we should be angry about that we're not angry about? Are there things we're angry about that we shouldn't be angry about? If God gets angry, are we supposed to also get angry? Well, this is the topic we would like to talk about together this morning. And I noticed in the first service as I got ready to get up, I don't actually have a passage for you to turn to. And that's because what we're going to do is we're going to look at lots of passages in the Bible and think about the subject of anger. And so I'm going to have them on the screen, uh, Lord willing, for you. But what we'd like to do is we'd like to begin by talking about God's anger. Then we're going to analyze Satan's anger. And my prayer is, is that in comparing the two, it will bring some clarity and some hopefully some helpful understanding when we think about our anger. All right, you with me? So let's begin by talking about God's anger. And I have five characteristics from the scriptures that we know about God and his anger. Number one, God is slow to get angry. We know lots and lots of times in the Bible where he is angry, but he is slow to get angry. In Exodus 34, God is introducing himself to Moses and using his fullest name possible which includes the very most central character traits of who he is. And this is how he introduces himself. He says, my name, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. One of the core traits of who God is, is that he is slow to get angry. 
Now I think about that Botham uh, Jean trial and situation, and I think, how must God have felt? Here's a man sitting in his apartment, minding his own business. Someone comes into his apartment. Now she thinks it's her apartment. I understand that. But it's still not her apartment. It is his apartment. And she shoots him and kills him. If I'm God, I'm thinking, I don't like that situation. I don't like that murder. But then I look and I think, well, now here on the stand, this brother who is a born-again believer, Grant, is offering Christian forgiveness to the woman who murdered his brother and a judge who knows full well she's going to be under a lot of scrutiny for doing this, offers a hug and a Bible, and people get mad at that. And I think if I'm God, I don't like that either. But he is slow to anger. Another way to think about it, think about last night. Saturday night is probably not the most moral night of the week. (laughs) Fair enough? Just think in Grand Rapids, how much sexual immorality happened last night? How much abuse? Or just think about this, how many times just last night do you think God or Jesus' name was taken in vain in this city? Just last night. And you think, where was the lightning strikes? Where was all of the punishment? God is slow to get angry. Titus 1.7, which is the passage that kind of uh, chose this topic for us, says that an elder must not be quick-tempered. It doesn't say that an elder never gets angry. It just says an elder must be like God in the fact that God is very slow to get angry. He does get angry, but he's slow to anger. Number two, God is deliberate and controlled in his anger. One of the ways to see this is that God is constantly warning people, look, if you don't change your behavior, I'm going to get angry. And he warns them, when I do get angry, Here are the precise things that I will do. See, he's not losing his temper. It's not irrational or impulsive. He says, look, if you don't obey, this is what's going to happen. There are hundreds of examples in the Bible. One of them is Jeremiah 25. In Jeremiah 25, God says to the people of Israel, hey, look, this is what I told you. I said, Turn now each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you didn't listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made and you have brought harm on yourselves. This reminds me a little bit of the old uh, TV show called The Incredible Hulk, when the Bruce Banner character would say, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. There's a sense in which God says, hey, look, if you keep doing these things, anger will eventually come. And when I get angry, I will do those things. That's a very measured, deliberate, controlled 
use of anger. He's not flying off the handle. Number three, God gets angry about certain things. The top three things in the Bible that I think God gets angry about, if you sort of read through and study the whole thing, in reverse order. So number three, God gets angry about injustice. Over and over again, we see that God is angry about injustice. He really, really doesn't like it when the strong take advantage of the weak. This can be sexually, this can be financially, this can be politically, in any different way. Anybody who's in a position of power, who takes advantage of the weak, the fatherless, the widow, the foreigner, the outsider, the downcast, the elderly, whoever it is, God really, really doesn't like that. He gets angry about injustice. More than that, however, he gets angry when people who committed to him, forsake him. That when we make an agreement, Lord, you will be my Lord and God, I will follow you. When we harden our hearts and say, I want nothing more to do with that, he really doesn't like that. Over and over we're told, you have forsaken the God who loves you. You've left the God who is kind to you. That arouses his anger. And then the thing that he is most angry about and will be most angry about in the future, hands down, is when people reject his son, Jesus. That after what Jesus went through for us, becoming a human for all of eternity, suffering hell for us, experiencing separation from the Father, when people reject Jesus and what he did for them. That is the thing that God has said he is most angry about. But you know the things that God doesn't get angry about? I find these really fascinating. He doesn't get angry with people who get angry with him. Isn't that crazy? We've got lots of examples in the Bible of people getting angry with God. He doesn't get angry with them in return. He also doesn't get angry with people who sin unintentionally. If you know better and you harden your heart and you tell him, look, I don't care, I'm doing what I want, he doesn't like that. But if in ignorance, he doesn't get angry about those things. He also doesn't get angry when you and I fail over and over again in a particular area, but we're still trying our best to overcome it. No anger from God for those things. If we're struggling with a particular sin and it keeps having victory over us time and time again, that does not rouse God's anger. It's only when we say, you know what, I don't care anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's when we forsake the one who loves us. And so when we look at God's anger, he's not angry about everything. He gets angry about injustice. When his people forsake him and when anybody rejects what his son did for them. Number four, God is quick to forgive and longs to be merciful. God is quick to forgive and longs to be merciful, even in his anger. Psalm 30 verse five says this, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. 
Micah 7 adds this. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Some people like to think of God as an angry God. He's not. He does get angry a lot. But if you compare his anger to his mercy, there is no comparison. Some people love getting angry. God loves being merciful. His anger lasts just a moment, but what he's longing to do, what he most delights in doing, is being merciful. And then the fifth characteristic of God's anger. God offers salvation to those he's angry with. God offers salvation to those he's angry with. Isaiah 12, verses 1 and 2. In that day you will say, I praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. The most amazing demonstration of love is God says to us, while you were my enemies, while you were actively pursuing the kinds of things that you knew would make me angry, while you were living in such a way in which there were injustices, in which there were abuses, in which there were all of these kinds of things, God made a way for us to be saved. And he sent Jesus that we might have eternal life. One of the things I think is most fascinating about that Botham Jean situation so by all the accounts that I can tell in reading it, that Amber Geiger was not a Christian up until that point. I have no idea where she is by faith. But I think this woman murdered one of God's children. And he puts the man's brother on the stand to offer her salvation. And he arranges for a judge who wants to give her a Bible because she needs Jesus. And while she's still, I believe, rightfully convicted for murder, in the midst of that, God is trying to offer her salvation. It does nobody any good for her to go to prison, to spend time in prison, and die, and never get right with the Lord. And so in the midst of what I think had to anger God, one of his children was shot dead in his own apartment. God has found a way to make sure that this woman gets to hear the gospel from the man's brother and from the judge. That's what God does. In the midst of anger, he offers salvation. He's always working for reconciliation. There's this great verse in the Old Testament in which God says, look, I'm always trying to figure out ways to bring the estranged child back home. I'm always working towards reconciliation. This is how God's anger works. He's slow to anger. His anger is controlled and measured. 
He does get angry about things, but he's especially angry about injustice, about people forsaking their covenant agreement, and people who reject Jesus. God is quick to forgive and loves to be merciful. And whenever God is angry, there's always the offer of salvation to try to rescue the person. Now, I should say on a sort of side note, that as I pray, as I look around at what's happening in this world, but especially in this country, as I read the scriptures, I do know God is slow to anger, but I have a sense that his anger is growing, that his anger is growing at the way Christians are being persecuted more and more in this country. I sense that his anger is growing at racial injustice in this country. I sense his anger is growing at what happens in our educational institutions in this country, some of them. I sense his anger is growing with some of the abuses of capitalism. And I just want to be on record as saying God is slow to anger, but he does get angry. Now, that's God's anger. What about Satan's? Well, I got five principles that go with Satan's anger, and as you'll tell, they're basically the reverse of God's, but let's go through them because I've given them slightly different wording. Anger that is sourced in Satan, number one, comes on quickly. Comes on quickly. It's just, it's immediate. This is if you're looking for the simplest test, because again, the goal at the end of this is for us to evaluate our own anger. To see, okay, well, is my anger sourced in God or is it sourced in Satan? If you're looking for the very simplest test, it is how quickly did it come on? If you got angry quickly, I'm going to be pretty sure that came from Satan. Because God is slow to anger. Satan's anger happens quickly. Number two, anger that comes from Satan is not rational. This is why we talk about losing your temper. You know what this is like. I certainly do. You get angry, you no longer feel in control, right? You see your actions or your words, and it's sometimes like an out-of-body experience, and you're watching yourself say certain things, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if I should be saying this or not. (laughs) But you still say it, don't you? It feels like you're going to burst unless you say it, right? Why is that happening? Because something else is in control. That all of a sudden, it's not rational, it's not controlled, it's not measured. It's not sort of straightforward. It becomes this just eruption of emotion. Take, for example, uh, the parents whose child uh, is not exercising self-control in regards to doing homework. On one hand, parent can come home and say, did you do your homework today? No, I didn't do it. If the response is a welling up of anger and the words that come out of your mouth are, you are lazy, you are undisciplined, you're never going to get a good job, you're never going to get into a school, how many times have I told you, when are you going to do this? I'm pretty sure that's not righteous anger. If on the other hand, as a parent, you notice your child not exercising discipline and self-control with homework, And you pray for them, and you warn them, and you warn them, and you warn them again, and you explain it to them, and you try to help them see it, 
if they still continue to refuse to listen and you say, look, these are going to be the consequences if you don't listen and they refuse to listen and you exercise those consequences on them, that feels to me like righteous anger. That's how God does it. So Satan's irrational, uncontrolled, a burst of anger. God's controlled, measured, clear, but still anger. Number three, anger that's sourced in Satan is sometimes selfishly motivated even when it appears altruistic, as only God can do. An example of this happened this week. You may uh, have seen in the news, there's lots of discussion about the NBA and its relationship with China right now. If you saw that discussion, one of the issues is, is okay, somebody associated with the NBA tweeted something that uh, people who are in Beijing and China, mainland China, didn't like. It was uh, supporting the protests in Hong Kong. And uh, the Chinese uh, officials were angry at the NBA for allowing this to happen. That's not really the issue. The issue for me that I thought was sort of like uh, revealing, and I was, to be honest, a little bit disappointed, some of the people who have, and I think rightly so, been outspoken about injustices happening in America, when it's happening in China, said we shouldn't say anything about this. And the reason was because of money. This affects the pocketbook. If we say stuff about what's going on in China, we're going to lose the Chinese market. That's not how God does his anger. When God gets angry at injustice, he's angry at it everywhere. It's not just the stuff that's in America or the stuff that affects us or the stuff that affects me. He is angry at injustice wherever it shows up. And sometimes, if we're honest, the things that we get angry about are the things that are actually affecting us and not the things God is angry about. That's how Satan's anger works. Is he's whispering in our ear, this is going to affect you. This is going to take money out of your... Don't worry about them. This is you. This bothers you. And when it's Satan's anger, it usually has to do with something selfishly motivated on our part. Number four. When the anger is sourced in Satan, it wants to wound and hurt others. Remember, God is longing to be merciful. And if when the anger comes on you, you think to yourself, this will be a fantastic opportunity to show mercy to that person, that's probably from God. If on the other hand you think to yourself, man, if, when I get my hands on that person, I'm going I'm to make them feel how I feel. If I'm, I want to do to them what they did to my loved one, which caused me to be so angry. If something happens at work and you think to yourself, here's how I'm going to get back. That's what Satan does. That's where revenge works. We feel wounded. We feel hurt. And when the anger makes us want to hurt somebody, and we may not do it physically, but in our mind, we're thinking through all sorts of situations where they get their comeuppance. That's from Satan. See, what Satan wants to do is he's going to take a wounded person, have them lash out in anger. That's going to affect you. You're going to be wounded. You're going to lash out in anger, and it's just a domino effect, and it just keeps... This is why anger seems to be growing exponentially. 
is because everybody wants to wound and hurt somebody else because we've been wounded and hurt. God's anger is looking for ways to forgive and to be merciful. Number five, does not offer salvation and help to others. It was really interesting to me, a number of people who commented on the Botham uh, Jean situation, some of them, like I alluded to at the beginning of the sermon, were angry that this white woman, this white police officer, because in their words, she cried, everybody treated her well. I read another commentator who I really liked what he said. His comment was, it's not that we want her to be treated worse. It's that we want everybody else to be treated like she was. I like that. I think even when you have to convict somebody of murder, they're still a human being. They still should be shown love. I want everybody to get a Bible. I want everybody to get a hug. That to me says that commentator, the commentators who want no one to get a hug and no one to feel loved, well, that feels like that's anger that comes from Satan. The one who says, hey, look, let's take this one situation and let's try to make it more common for everybody, that feels like God. That feels like God saying, how can we take a positive and redeem it to be a blessing to more people instead of saying, well, unless everybody gets it, no one can have it. So how do you know the difference between God's anger and Satan's anger? God's anger is always working to find ways to rescue, to help, to bless, to bring salvation. Satan doesn't do that. All right, what do we do with these? Two things. First, this raises the all-important question. I've just gone done telling you, God does get angry. And so the all-important question is, is God angry with you or with me? If you're a Christian here, and you're struggling to live out your faith, if you're angry with God, if you're committing sins and ignorance, you are not a candidate for God's anger. If, however, you have hardened your heart and you have said, I don't care what God thinks, I'm going to do my own thing. He is slow to anger, which is why you've gotten away with it for a while. But please hear carefully. His anger is coming. And you won't like it when he gets angry. Perhaps even more soberly is what this means for those here who are not yet believers in Jesus. Preaching this topic this way reminds me of the most famous sermon ever preached in America. It's a sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the point of the sermon and the reason why it created such an evangelistic fervor is because it's based on a passage in Hebrews 10 in which God says, if you reject my son, you are in real danger. Hear the words of the Lord. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. 
Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy, as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And the plea is God has made a way for every single person to be saved. That in the midst of his anger, at our sexual immorality, at the midst of his anger, at our lying, at our deception, at our abuse, at our gossip, at all of the things we have done, he has at the same time offered Jesus But this passage says, if you will not accept this, all that remains is the fearful wrath of God. And so the encouragement is, please don't let the fact that God is slow to be angry lull you into thinking that he will not be angry. Remember, his anger is always forewarned. He always says what's going to happen. He couldn't any more clearly say, if you do not believe This is what's coming. He's not losing his temper. It's not flaring up in a moment. It's not going to happen, and then he's going to regret it. He's on record as saying, if you reject Jesus, all that is waiting for you is the fearful expectation of judgment and the raging fires of being separated from God. So please, please, Hear what God is saying. Second, for those of us who are Christians, when you think about the anger, maybe you feel about the Botham Jean situation, maybe anger at things going on in society in general, anger at work, anger with God, anger with a family member. Maybe he got angry in the car on the way to church this morning. (laughs) We all got stuff that we're angry about. And the purpose of this sermon is to take that anger and do with it what James 4, 7 says, which is submit it to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Essentially take the thing that you're angry about at work, at school, on the sports team, at the play practice, wherever it may be, and submit it to God and say, God, is this what you're angry about? God, are you slow to anger about this situation? God, have you been getting angry about this? Should I be angry about it? Lord, am I seeing salvation in here somewhere? Lord, am I wanting to be uh, earnest in forgiveness and in mercy? God, am I doing this to hurt another person? Simply run it through this grid and ask, God, help me to be angry about the things that you're angry about. And if for whatever reason, Lord, you're choosing to be patient and not get angry, Help me to be patient and not be angry. And God, if there's something you're angry about that I'm not, help me to be angry about that thing. And so the encouragement for us as Christians is give our anger to God. If God's angry about it, he'll give it back to you and say, we're on the same page here. If he's not angry about it, he'll use these things to say, hey, look, this anger's not from me. Don't give in to it. Only bad will happen.